Welcome to the fifth and final episode of the podcast series "Clearing the Air." I'm Shermeng Li, and I'm Kawa Tran. Our team at Sustainable Asia partnered with the Heinrich Boll Foundation to produce this series. In the last episode, we traveled around New Delhi and Kathmandu to learn whether clean air advocates have been successful there in battling air pollution, and we certainly saw that in both countries. Poverty made the transition to clean air a lot more difficult. For sure, when residents can barely make ends meet, fighting air pollution isn't their first priority. After exploring five megacities in South and Southeast Asia, I wonder how East Asia handles air pollution, as they have more resources to tackle the issue. I've noticed that Seoul still struggles with air pollution, despite the fact that South Korea is one of the largest economies in the world. And does South Korea use any high-tech solutions to handle its dirty air that South or Southeast Asian megacities can learn from? These days, it seems like technology is all around us, and that's nowhere more true than here in Seoul. From the moment you wake up here, you're surrounded by advanced technology, from smart toilets to building automation, and especially robotics. In fact, South Korea is now the most robotized country in the world, and they show no signs of slowing. Last year, South Korea released 5G autonomous robots to monitor air quality throughout an industrial complex in the country's south. Officials were also counting on these drones to collect air pollution data to clamp down on illegal incineration that creates fine dust and carbon. Thousands of miles above these robots, Korea recently began using a satellite to offer real-time air quality data to the public. But that's not all that Korea was doing to use advanced technology to solve their air pollution woes. 이제 미세먼지 측정기도 이제 그 지하철 역사 안에서 설치를 해서. This is Jiyeon Lee. He is the climate and energy coordinator at the Korea Federation for Environmental Movements and Friends of the Earth Korea. Fine dust metering equipment has been installed in over 200 subway stations, which allow you to see the level of fine dust concentration in real time. So then, about 4,000 large capacity air purifiers were installed. On the subway station platforms, and because of this, the fine dust was reduced by 33%. Speaking to us from his office in Seoul, Jiyeon said a recent survey indicated that South Koreans are dissatisfied with the high concentration of fine dust in the air. In fact, in the winter and spring of 2019, South Korea was engulfed in fine dust, which is just another name for PM 2.5 or tiny particles that make the air look hazy and can damage our health. Jiyeon said, "Water tanks aside, South Korea is trying to use new methods to measure and clean up its dirty air. For instance, how they do road maintenance." So normally, when paving a road, you'd inject materials at a very high temperature, which means a lot of steam comes out of it, which is very bad for the environment. So by lowering the temperatures 30 degrees, it reduces the emission of nitrogen oxides. Also, if you make a road like that, it's less noisy and more permeable against the rain. 
So the government now plans to apply this eco-friendly technology to all pavement maintenance works starting in 2027. On top of these ideas, South Korea also proposed making artificial rain together with China in 2019, but there seems to be no follow-ups. Joint efforts for transboundary air pollution are important, Jiyun says. China deployed artificial rain this summer to mitigate the most severe heat waves on record for decades. So the technology is definitely there. While these new technologies are helpful in fighting air pollution, the activist says ultimately stronger government policies to switch to renewable energy sources are the key to fighting air pollution. And with a relatively higher average income, he says South Koreans can also install solar panels in their homes and consume locally made products to reduce the carbon associated with transportation. South Korea has some unique approaches to solving its air pollution, so it seems the issue has been on people's minds for quite some time now. But just how bad is their air quality exactly? I've noticed how much affects my mood. Because it affects what I can do on a given day, like taking walks or hanging out with my friends. This is Gyo Richo, who lives in Seoul. She told us how air pollution in the city affects her personally. Sometimes, because of the dust, the sky usually turns into a grayish or brownish color, and it's quite suffocating to look at for multiple days in a row. Yuri is a researcher at Solutions for Our Climate, a non-profit organization in South Korea that works to mitigate the climate crisis. She noticed the impacts of climate change at an early age, and at the time decided to join a climate youth organization to learn more. I went to、um, a lot of different、um, retreats and conferences about climate change. For example, I went to UNFCCC COP24 in 25 and met a lot of Asian youth organizations, and we did a presentation. At、um, Korea Pavilion with China, Taiwan, and Japanese youth organization, I saw so many people engaging in climate activist,、uh, climate activity like climate strike, and climate campaign requiring parties to set a more ambitious goal that, like Paris Agreement, is not enough to deal with climate crisis. And there was one particular experience that Guri would not get out of her mind. When I went to coal-fired power plants in Philippines, I saw so many people suffering from like air pollution and water pollution. The air was so dirty, and also many people can't live in the town because of the like dirty water and the trash. I heard so many people died because of the cancer, but the media didn't want to、um, outreach those stories because of the lobbying of coal-fired power plants. And I was so shamed that some of the Korean corporates are investing in that coal-fired power plants. Like I felt really shame and sorry to those local、um, residents because some of the kids were so happy to see me because I'm just a Korean because of the K-pop and they like really love the K-pop songs and Blackpink, but they are suffering because of like South Korean corporates and some of the governments. So yeah, that was one of the reason I decided to pursue my career in the climate change. 
she soon realized through her research that South Korea itself is suffering from quite serious air pollution. According to the 2019 World Air Quality Report, South Korea had the worst air pollution out of all OECD countries, ranking first in the concentration of fine particles. And air pollution really affects our daily lives. Um, so almost everyone here has an air quality app they check every morning. And all, a lot of them also have air purifiers at home if they can afford it. Even compared with other megacities around the world, Seoul still ranks high in terms of air pollution level. The air quality of Seoul is the worst amongst the eight major cities in Korea. It is also high compared to the major cities in other countries. For example, the concentration of our air pollution is twice as high as Paris, or two or three times higher than London or Tokyo. For three months in a row, the government had to launch a dozen emergency measures just to reduce dust in the urban areas. In March 2019, a fine dust warning was issued for a whole week. That's the longest record in South Korea. After the pandemic began in 2020, no fine dust warnings were issued that year. But as businesses gradually resumed, fine dust warnings also returned. In South Korea, fine dust has been a nightmare for citizens for years. And much like Ayesha's initiative in Pakistan, mothers in Seoul requested air purifiers for their kids. So about four to five years ago, there were a lot of protests. And many of the protesters were mothers who demanded the government install air purifiers at the daycare centers and at their children's schools. So at that time, all kinds of products related to fine dust were coming out in huge quantities on internet shopping malls. Shortly after, air purifiers for vehicles were also introduced. So now the situation essentially becomes a problem of social injustice. Where the more purchasing power you have, the more likely you are going to get cleaner air. In the end, to make the air cleaner, our public policy in our country needs to be changed. I think it is necessary to look at the fine dust problem as a social problem, rather than an individual problem. If fine dust is a social problem, we probably have to look into where South Korea's fine dust comes from. Officials say that fine dust comes from boilers, automobiles, operation facilities, and so on. A study in a Nature Journal says that wind also blows the sand from China's northwest region into South Korea. Media coverage on China's transboundary fine dust prompted a group of about 90 concerned South Koreans to sue Beijing in 2017 for its failure to control air pollutants and Seoul for failing to identify the cause for the fine dust issue and protect people's rights. In 2020, however, unlike the good news for the plaintiffs in Jakarta's case we covered in episode 2, the South Korean court dismissed the lawsuit, saying it has no jurisdiction rights in China and there's not enough proof that Seoul was violating its citizens' rights. Exactly how much responsibility China has for South Korea's air pollution is debatable. But what many experts like Jion say is that South Korea's own fossil fuel power plants and diesel vehicles are also the main sources for its dirty air. I think the most fundamental cause is that Korea is too dependent on fossil fuels, coal, oil, and gas. 
the proportion of eco-friendly and renewable energy is just too low. As of last year, the share of renewable energy such as solar and wind power in Korea was 4.7%. That's only half of the global average of 10.3%. Currently, coal-fired power plants still account for over one-third of South Korea's energy mix. Jion told us that coal-fired power plants emit the most greenhouse gases among other types of power plants. In 2020, the South Korean government announced that they would retire 28 such plants. But actually, new coal power plants continue to be constructed. About four plants are still in construction. The plan is to slowly phase out the plants, but their lifespan is usually 30 years. And there are a lot of air pollutants coming out of these coal power plants. There's a study that if coal power is reduced at this rate, up to 23,000 people will die prematurely due to air pollution from coal power plants. Closing coal power plants quickly is a very important solution right now, both in terms of preventing climate change and protecting the health of these people. The current government's policy on reducing coal power plants won't work. It's just too slow. South Korea has also built a lot of coal-fired power plants overseas, many in Asia. It is one of the top 10 largest investors in the world's coal industry as of January 2021. And its top destinations are Indonesia and Vietnam. And that's not to mention that the coal-fired power plants funded by South Korea are of lower environmental standards and are more polluting than domestic counterparts in such countries. Last year, Seoul announced that it would end all new financing for overseas coal projects as part of former President Moon Jae-in's Green New Deal, the nation's roadmap to carbon neutrality by 2050. But Gyuri doesn't feel that's enough. Even though the Korean government pledged to stop financing overseas coal projects, it is still one of the largest public financiers of overseas oil and gas. Between 2011 and 2020, it spent about $127 billion. And one of the latest examples is the Barossa gas project. The project is expected to be the dirtiest offshore gas field in Australia, but the South Korean exports credit agencies, which are public financial institutions, poured hundreds of millions of dollars into it. The project also harmed local communities near the gas pipeline in Australia. And I would like to yeah, say more about the green taxonomy because like also last year, the Korean government included gas in their green taxonomy. And this classifies gas as a green technology by 2035, allowing it to receive green financing, which may divert much-needed capital from renewables. By the end of 2020, South Korea's state-owned energy provider has plants in China, the Philippines, Indonesia, Vietnam, and other countries. If you remember Guri's experience in the Philippines, you'd know the country's green plan doesn't just affect its own citizens, but people in more vulnerable countries in Asia and around the world. Cool plants aside, Yuri also took an in-depth look at South Korea's gas power plants. Because of the world word natural in natural gas, many people are made to think that gas is clean and doesn't release a lot of air pollutants or greenhouse gases. 
but when considering the life cycle of gas from upstream to downstream, which includes methane leakage, research suggests that gas releases up to 78% of greenhouse gases compared to coal. There are a total of 99 gas power plants in South Korea that are operating according to Geary's report published last year. Gas plants also release a lot of greenhouse gases, including methane, which is like over 25 times more potent than carbon dioxide at trapping heat in the atmosphere. And a report actually found that around gas plants in Seoul, the concentration of methane is about seven times higher than the city average. So if we want to achieve net zero by 2050, the IEA says that there should be no new fossil fuel developments and advanced economies should reach net zero electricity by 2035. So with all of its gas projects, South Korea is far, far from this goal. Guri's organization is now campaigning for more transparency in terms of disclosing air pollutant data, particularly during what she refers to as startup, shutdown and malfunction or SSM in their power plants. Because there is an exemption on emission limits during startup, start shutdown, and malfunction. Not only nitrogen oxide, but also high concentration of carbon monoxide and other toxic pollutants are released from the plants during SSM. And critically, gas power plants have been used as a peak load, which means they turn on and turn off on a regular basis. So, for example, Seoul and LNG plants turns on and off about 170 times in 2020, but there is a loophole in air pollution regulations and in companies and the local government really like don't know about the toxic, how much toxic pollutants or carbon monoxide released from the plants during SSM. So um, we're trying to find the loopholes in air pollution regulations and working on that. Traditionally, robots were used mainly in manufacturing, especially in Korea's booming automotive industry. But the face of robotics is changing, from industrial robots to the rise of a new kind of collaborative robot, which is impacting a whole new set. Despite the fact that Korea is a wealthy OECD country, Seoul is afflicted with a similar problem as South Asian and Southeast Asian countries, air pollution from diesel transport. There are close to 10 million registered diesel vehicles, including 2 million passenger cars and another 2 million cargo trucks that can only run on diesel. Jion told us that the biggest reason for the still high number is diesel's low price. There are still many who opt to buy diesel cars when the company's staff buys a car. Subsidies on buying electric vehicles are still not enough. Well, currently, there are about 30,000 electric vehicles registered in the Seoul area. And that is out of the total number of registered cars of over 3 million. So the proportion of electric vehicles in Seoul is like 1%. If we really want to reduce air pollution, we need more effort to convert all types of vehicles to electric. Seoul plans to phase out diesel vehicles from the public sector and mass transit by 2025. But Jian suggested a more ambitious step, a ban on gasoline and diesel vehicles in the near future. This means car makers like Hyundai will only produce electric vehicles. While the push for EVs is important, it still isn't enough to meet South Korea's carbon-neutral goal and ultimately mitigate its air pollution problem. Yuri agrees. 
if the number of cars are still increasing, the air pollutants will be still the issue of Seoul. So it is important to change um, infrastructure into a more sustainable city. Like we should change the road into a more friendly way, like bike friendly way. In South Korea, we don't have enough roads to ride a bike or people to walk down, like surrounded by the nature and um, like greener plants. So that's why it is more important to change road infrastructure into a sustainable and greener way. Seoul's public transportation system is far from a failure. It accounts for over 60% of residents' daily commute each day. Among the people who use public transit, 40% use the subway and 25% ride on buses. The city has 22 metro lines and 746 stations connecting the whole metropolitan area, as well as 7,400 buses. But both experts agree that more biking paths can be built to divert road traffic. It doesn't seem like South Korea's high-tech solutions are enough to combat Seoul's serious air pollution. And as a wealthy nation, South Korea still relies too much on coal and gas power plants. This means its government is not doing enough in transitioning to clean energy in the long run and in shielding itself from dust created by plants in the short term. So Charmaine, after going to Seoul, we've been to six megacities in total for the series. What did you learn? From our talks with experts, it looks like the major causes for air pollution in these cities in Asia are fossil-fueled vehicles, particularly those run on diesel, burning of trash and agricultural crops, and reliance on coal and fossil fuels for heating and electricity. Geography plays a role in some cities like Lahore or Kathmandu, which are surrounded by mountains that trap dirty air, but the failure to effectively stop or regulate polluting activities is a much bigger problem. Exactly. Particularly in Asia, governance sometimes doesn't rein in the issue, but instead seems to actually get in the way of clearing the air. Most citizens don't have a lot of resources, and on a per capita basis don't emit that many pollutants or greenhouse gases, but because of the high population densities in these mega cities, a little bit from everyone adds up to a major pollution nightmare. And worried about their own health and their children's future, they decided to take actions themselves. Jakarta's citizens took the matter to court to push the government to take poor air quality more seriously, while Pakistani and South Korean mothers put masks on their children and request air purifiers in schools to protect them. Experts from New Delhi and Lahore provide air quality data and analyze them to educate the public on air pollution and turn that awareness and knowledge into more actions. Listeners, what do you think about our series? We hope you enjoy our investigative journey around Asia and pick up some new knowledge along the way. Hey, Sustainable Asia listeners, I'm Marcy Trentlong, and I'm the executive producer of Sustainable Asia. Your hosts for this episode were Koa Tran and Charmaine Lee. Charmaine Lee produced the episode alongside associate producer Jack Lee. A big thank you to our guests, Yuri Cho, 
and Jian Li. We couldn't have made this podcast series without the support of the Heinrich Boll Foundation, a green think tank from Germany with more than 30 offices around the world. We enjoyed working with the Bangkok, New Delhi, and Hong Kong offices to produce this series. Check out the Heinrich Boll Foundation website links in our show notes to learn more about their insightful and thoughtful work across the Asia region. Alexander Mobison created the intro-outro music made from repurposed and recovered waste items. Thanks for listening and hope you enjoyed the series. Thank you.